0: and the the tragedy and the uh, terrorism that uh, uh, seems to be increasing more and more and now has come directly to our soil that makes Bethlehem all the more attractive to me. Just a word about the song. It was written by an Episcopal priest back in the 1800s. Now during his time, He would have been one of the most famous men in America. He was a preacher, and preachers were famous back then. And he was the most famous preacher of his time. He was a Harvard graduate. His name was Bishop Phillips Brooks. And he got to take a year off and travel through Europe, and he got to travel uh, to the Holy Land. And he rode on horseback in the 1800s into Bethlehem. And when he came to Bethlehem, uh, it was surrounded by terrace gardens. He said it was a good-looking town, better built than any other that we've seen in Palestine. And before dark, we rode out of town to the field where they say the shepherds saw the star. It's a fenced place of ground with a cave in it. All the holy places have caves here, in which, strangely enough, they put the shepherds. The story is absurd, but somehow in those fields, we rode through the shepherds, that we rode through the shepherds must have been and as we passed the shepherds were still there keeping watch over their flocks or leading them home to the fold when he returned back to boston it was a couple years later that at christmas time he wrote the words to O little town of bethlehem for a sunday school program that they were going to have at church and like a typical pastor, and Linda can relate to this because I'm always giving her last minute stuff to do, getting PowerPoints ready and typing up notes and all that, but this pastor who wrote these words to the song said to his music director, we want to perform this song next week but it doesn't have a tune, could you write a tune to it? And so his organist, uh, a guy by the name of Mr. Lewis Redner, um, he um, He said, the simple music was written in great haste and under great pressure. We were to practice it on the following Sunday. Mr. Brooks came to me on Friday and he said, Redner, have you ground out that music yet to a little town of Bethlehem? I replied, no, but that he should have it by Sunday. On the Saturday night previous, my brain was all confused about the tune. I thought more about my Sunday school lesson than I did about the music. But I was roused from sleep late in the night, hearing an angel strain whispering in my ear. And seizing a piece of music paper, I jotted down the treble of the tune as we now have it. And on the Sunday morning before going to the church, I filled in the harmony. And he said, neither Mr. Brooks nor I ever thought the carol or the music to it would live beyond that Christmas of 1868. Now it's one of the most beloved hymns that we sing. O little town, I love this first verse, and and I just want you to hear it fresh for the first time. Hear it fresh in the background of all that you've been hearing this week. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet, In thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And so this week I've been thinking a lot about Bethlehem. I'm thinking about that little sleepy, quiet town in the middle of all that's been going on in the world and and so much so that I was drawn to this little piece of ground about a mile from my house. One day when I was driving in Knoxville off of Taswell Pike, I took a wrong turn. And when I took a wrong turn, right in the middle of Knoxville, I, I ended up in the middle of a cow pasture. I mean it's like this undiscovered piece of Knoxville. I don't even want to tell you where it's at because you might want to build a house there. Right now it's it, it, it's still pure, and 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 it's and it's these rolling hillsides with cows and horses. It's very very quiet out there, and I found myself going there this week. And if any of you were following Facebook this week, you saw I did a little I did a little prelude to this sermon from that spot, from that spot. And the interesting thing about that spot is that. Little country spot right in Knoxville. It's four miles from downtown. It's four miles from the Sun Sphere and UT and Market Square and all of the action of Knoxville. It's the exact same distance that Bethlehem is from Jerusalem. Four miles. Four miles from the noise of Of Jerusalem was a little place called Bethlehem, much like the little place that I visited this week. And so I want us to think about this little town of Bethlehem. Oh, and I love that word, oh, this week. Oh, oh, little town of Bethlehem. How still we see the lie. What can we learn from Bethlehem I invited a a couple of my friends uh, yesterday to come out and help me with this sermon and the points and so I want them to share what the first thing we can learn about Bethlehem is on the next slide I love what Robert said there and, and if you're taking notes in your bulletin there's a place that you can fill in the blanks Bethlehem was small enough to showcase the greatness of Christ's birth there's something about small that really attracted me this week there was something about the smallness of Bethlehem. As we're hearing about basically a suburb of L.A., San Bernardino, and big cities, and all of that this week, there was something about the smallness of Bethlehem that gripped me this week, because God God loves to do really big things in really small places. God loves to do things in people who feel like they're small. He likes to do things in places that are unlikely. He likes to surprise us by breaking in where we don't expect God to break in. Fourteen of Jesus' greatest miracles were were done in one of the smallest towns in Israel, a place called Capernaum. And if I could preach to you for a few minutes, life church. We're not the largest church in Knoxville this morning. You didn't hear 150 voice choir. We had no singing Christmas trees this morning. But can I tell you this morning that God delights in doing great things in small places? That God would be honored to come down here to our little growing but yet little congregation, and do some amazing things. I've heard people refer to the church by its former name when we were called Bethesda. I've heard them call it our little Bethesda, our little Bethesda, affectionately. Little Bethesda was the church that wouldn't die. Little Bethesda was the church that could Little Bethesda was the church that, that, that it just wouldn't go away in spite of hardship, in spite of difficulty, and somehow it just hung on there. And I now I believe that God wants to do some great things in Life church. Are you with me this morning? How many would believe with me this morning that God would love to do some amazing things in some pretty small places? God loves to show up in unexpected places. He likes to do things among the foolish to confound the wise, to come to places where it seems like time is forgotten and do some of his best work. You know, I've been thinking about small towns. Small towns tend to look backwards. They don't look forward. I just spent the last 20 years before I moved here in a small town. We weren't known for our Super centers. We were known for our antique shops. Murfreesboro, Illinois, our downtown was completely gone now with nothing but antique shops. We were famous for three things. We were famous for General John A. Logan, a general during the Civil War that donated the land to build our town. We were also famous for the 1925 tornado that wiped out most, much, most of our town. All the funeral homes in town started as a result of the 1925, the tri-state tornado that came through our town. It was a little town, and we were known for 17th Street Bar and Grill. (laughs) Three-time world championship barbecue. Won the national championship three times. If you ever hear of Murfreesboro, it would only be because of the tornado or 17th Street Bar and Grail, but we were honored in the last 20 years to see God show up. And He did amazing things in that small town. We saw hundreds and hundreds of people come to know Jesus. Small towns tend to look backwards. Bethlehem seemed like it didn't have a future. It had two claims to fame. One was that it was the place that Rachel was buried. Rachel, who ended her life in disappointment. In fact, the Bible talks about Rachel weeping for her children because they were not. She had to watch her sister Leah just be fertile myrtle and have all the kids. (laughs) And Rachel, Rachel mourned and she was buried near Bethlehem and, and of course the great the great famous thing of Bethlehem was King David King David came from Bethlehem I, I imagine every place in town was named King David King David's auto body shop you know King David's <laughs> King David's everything King David's barber shop everything was in the past about the future greatness that had vanished from Israel. Any thoughts of anything ever good happening again in this town, though, had been completely wiped out by multiple occupations, by the Babylonians and the Persians and now the Romans. And all we could do is just look at King David's museum. Remember a time when there was a boy named David who fought a Goliath? Remember one time when God took this little town and did something amazing in it. And I'm sorry I'm crying this morning, but it's been, a, it's been a difficult week in our nation. This morning you may look at yourself as little and you may think all the good things in life are behind you. The message of Bethlehem is... Don't despise the day of small things. God loves to do great things in small places. He wants to come to your little family. He wants to come to our little church. He wants to come... To our little lives and he wants to do something great and so I've been thinking of little this week and, and and in America we need some littles right now we need a little more love and we need a little more kindness and we need a little more peace in our world but this message of Bethlehem the message of Bethlehem is wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute All the good stuff's not behind you. And this is what, if if I have a life motto, it will probably be put put on my tombstone. Can People make fun of me for it. I'm known for this phrase, that the best is yet to come. But the message of Bethlehem is, fear not, oh little town of Bethlehem, oh little town, don't give up hope. God loves To do great things in little places. What else can we learn from Bethlehem? Next slide, please. Keeping notes this morning, Bethlehem's dreamless sleep was the perfect setting for the birthplace of hope. I love the words that he penned, above your deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. I love what Noah said, Noah said, and and if you know Noah, he likes that, he likes the big cities, he likes the big cities. He likes the liveliness, the hope in it. The opportunity, everything that a big city means. When we walked in downtown Knoxville, Noah's always looking at those apartments right above Market Square. And there's something exciting about all of the all of the life and opportunity and hope that the big city seems to bring. And when we think of the country, we think of people who are farming because their daddy did it and their grandfather did it and their great grandfather did it. It's a place where dreams dreams we think can die. And a lot of people said that Bethlehem was dead. But this author said, no, she's just asleep. She's just asleep. It reminded me of Jesus when he said to that girl, that girl that they thought was dead, -uh, uh-uh, she's not dead. She's only asleep. She's only asleep. And Bethlehem is sleeping right now, and Bethlehem's not aware of everything that's going on, but don't give up on her. Don't give up on her, oh little town of Bethlehem. She's not dead yet. If you know the movie The Princess Bride, she's just mostly dead. <laughs> she's, she's, just, she's just sleeping. She's just sleeping. And, and then I love what he said above, and this is such a poetic line. Above thy deep and dreamless, dreamless Dreamless sleep. It's a place where dreams have died. We had hoped. We had heard the prophecies that out of David's line, something great would happen. We we had a dream at one time, but but somehow in the Babylonian captivity, in the Persian captivity, in the Roman captivity, it was dream stifling. Let me just tell you something. In a world, there are people that are trying to kill dreams today. Has as, as the irony hit any of you that this terrorism attack took place at a Christmas party? That the, the message of, of, of Christmas—you you don't think anything about that Christmas party because terrorism seems like it got the news and the headlines in the day, and it stifled that party. It's a—it's a dream killing. It's a dream killing place. I know the address in which Jesus was born. This author told us where Jesus was born. He was at, born at the intersection of hope and fear. said, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. A place that had once been a place of hope, But now it was a place of fear. The Herods were terrorists. ISIS is not new. What Herod did to John the Baptist, beheading him and putting his head on a platter, had nothing on ISIS. It was a place when all of the little boys were killed just to try to stifle out this one, this one who might be king. Terrorism is not new. And all of the hopes and the fears of all the years met up in one little place. i was so glad for the songs that you sang this morning about Jesus being our hope because The answer to this world today is not we're in an election season. It's not any one of your favorite given candidates. The hopes, the hope of our world and the fears of our world met at the manger in this hopeless, dreamless town. What does Bethlehem teach us? Hope was born. Hope was born in a place where terror reigned. What else does Bethlehem teach us? Next slide. Bethlehem was dark enough to see the everlasting light. You know what Melanie said was true on that night of the eclipse when we were up at our house we were trying to see it we couldn't see it and there's something about that place it just is blocked it blocks the light out there and it's dark. Four miles from downtown Knoxville it was dark enough for us to stand out side in the field and watch that night. The inky black sky above Bethlehem is the perfect background to the silent stars that announced Christ's birth. And The dark streets are a perfect place for his glow to illuminate our hearts. You see there's a lot of artificial light in the big city. You know there's a difference between a light that glares and one that glows have you ever been riding down the road and someone shines their brights in your eyes it blinds you there's, there's a glare uh, that obscures but there's a glow that illuminates and there was something dark enough about Bethlehem that night that there was a glow that came from that manger that lightened every heart. Let me just say to you this morning, if you think you are already enlightened, you are not open to the light of the world. If you think that you already are enlightened, you are not open to the light of the world. In order to receive your sight, you've got to admit that you're blind. In order to receive the light of the world, you've got to admit that you're in some dark places, and God loves to come to dark places, and this is a dark time, Right now in our country. And we can, we can pretend that it doesn't exist. But it's all around us now. The darkness is there. And Bethlehem teaches us something. That it was dark enough. You see, Jesus didn't cho- choose to be born in the lighted city of Jerusalem. Where there was lots of competing lights. And lots of people that were competing for attention. And lots of world leaders. But he came to this dark place, to be the light of the world. I wonder if there's someone here to admit today, that would admit today that you need Jesus to illuminate your darkness. What else does Bethlehem teach us? Next slide. Bethlehem was quiet enough or Bethlehem was silent enough to hear the good news. I needed quiet this week. I I needed to get away from the noise this week. I I needed to get away from the chatter and from the television and from social media and from all of the politicians, and I needed to get away from all of that. And I needed to get away to Bethlehem. If you're going to hear the good news, you got to be quiet. It's got to be quiet enough if you're going to hear the good news. It's been a noisy week. One of the girls that was in that room where these gunmen came in said, I've never heard anything so loud in my life. I've never heard real gunshots before. She was terrorized by the noise of it all. It's been a noisy week. There are radical Muslims right now that are rattling their sabers and trying to be destructive and making a lot of noise. And I want you to be, I want to be very careful when I say that. Because the Muslims are not the only ones making noise. And by the way, I'm not speaking of all Muslims. I'm speaking of radical terrorism. There are many, many peace-loving Muslim people in our world that are as horrified as you and I are about what's happening. I have a friend who is a Jew. I met him in Sevierville. and When I met he and his wife, there was something just so attractive about them. They are just... They've got a bunch of kids. In fact, when I met him, I made a false assumption. I assumed that they were messianic Jews, because there was just something about him that just seemed like he was so zealous and so fired up about God. And I said, So I said, Are you messianic? He goes, Yes, I am, but not in the way that you think that I am. He said, I'm Messianic in the sense that I'm waiting for the Messiah to come. I'm still waiting for him to come. Well, he friended me on Facebook, and so I've been following him in the wake of this terrorism event, and he's a pretty radical Jewish guy. I'm going to read the posts that I can read appropriately in church. I couldn't read most of them. But one of the ones that I can read is, he said, I admit I am an Islamophobe. They scare the jeepers out of me. I am tired. I'm Tiring of mourning of the death and mayhem, I want to wake up early in the morning and kill Muslim terrorists first. I want to remove my phobia and then heal. That was his nice post. And, you know, so we Christians feel good about picking on Muslims and Jews, and then I read just this morning, the president of Liberty University, a popular pilgrimage site for presidential candidates, In his remarks at a recent school convocation this past Friday, he stood up and he pressed students at the Christian School in Lynchburg, Virginia to carry weapons on campus following Wednesday's mass shooting in San Bernardino, California, He said, it just blows my mind that the President of the United States says that the answer to the circumstances like that is more gun control, he said to applause. If some of these people in that community center had what I have in my back pocket right now, he said, while being interrupted by louder cheers and clapping, is it illegal to pull it out? I don't know, he said, chuckling. I've always thought that if more good people had concealed carry permits, then we could end those Muslims before they walked in. He said the rest of his sentence was drowned out by law to plows, when then he said, and kill them. I just want to take this opportunity to encourage all of you to get your permit. We offer a free course. Let's teach them a lesson if they ever show up here. He clarified in his remarks that he was only referring to terrorism, but he said he apologized for nothing else he said. Maybe that's controversial to say this morning. I don't know if it is or not. I'm not taking a political stance. What I would like to say to all of you that the religious right will not be captive to the religious right or to the, to, to the right political party. I will not be captive to the religious left or to some left-wing political party. There's something about me today that is pining for a place called Bethlehem that's a ways from all of the noise. And all of the chatter, a place where it's quiet enough, we've got to get to a place, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to get to a place, church, where it's quiet enough that we can hear the good news. Go to the next slide, if you would. This was the headlines of the, um, no, that's not the one. Did I have, Did I have one of a newspaper, a couple back there? The headlines that said, God is not fixing this. God is not fixing this, the, the New York um, go back a couple slides if you would. Can we do that? I don't know if you got to see that slide, but there was, a, uh, there was a major slide that caused a lot of talk and a lot of chatter this week, and the slide said this. God is not fixing this. And they're saying, quit praying. It's time to, it's time to do gun control or whatever. And then the other side said, no, 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 it's time to have more guns. One side saying no guns. One side saying more guns. And in all of the chatter, in all of the chatter, somehow the voice of Bethlehem is being lost. We've got to get away to a quiet place where we can hear the good news. Let me just tell you something. Jesus didn't come to a world that was courier at Ives. He came to a world that was full of terrorism. He came to a world that was full of all kinds of noise. And he intentionally chose that his birth would be four miles away from all of that chatter in a place that it was quiet enough for angels on the hillsides to be heard that said, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to Christian people. No. He didn't say it to Jewish people. No. To Muslim people, no. He said, which shall be to all people, for unto you, all of you, is born this day a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord silently. I love I love the the inspiration that the writer of this hymn got when he wrote the words, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessing of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin where meek souls we receive him still, the dear Christ enters in church. I've been hungry this week to get quiet to get away from all of the noise there's a lot of noise you know what they talk about all of these terrorist communications they call it chatter there's a lot of chatter that's going on they're listening to chatter right now and the whole world is chattering and tweeting and 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 facebooking and uh what what else are we doing we're uh uh, instagramming we're you know we're 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 snapchatting We're, we're we're doing all of these things there's a whole whole lot of noise going on right now Whole lot of noise, whole lot of solutions, whole lot of immediate answers. And yet there's a place called Bethlehem where silently, silently, this wondrous gift is given. I wonder if there's anyone here today whose hearts would be quiet enough that you could quiet your hearts enough that you could hear the good news. Amen. Amen. Can we be quiet in a world that's gone mad? But the last thing that we learn about Bethlehem is embedded in the name of the town itself. Go to this video. was the right name to become the breadbasket of the world Jerusalem is known for its delicacies you can get the best gyros in Jerusalem you can eat all of those things but let me tell you something small towns small towns may not be all of that in terms of all of the delicacies but try to do life without small towns that's growing the corn that's growing the wheat That's raising the cattle that feeds the world. If there is no Bethlehem's, there is no Jerusalem. I grew up in a little town called Ottawa, Illinois. No one goes to Ottawa, Illinois to see the mountains, and you don't go there to see the beach. If you go to Ottawa, Illinois, you could measure, you could you could put a level on the ground, it's that flat. And the dirt is so black that you could plant a rock and it would probably grow there. It does nothing sensational except feed the world. Feed the world. I I remember reading a poem years ago called A Farmer in Minnesota and there was a little line in there that said we feed the world who cares for us. Nothing attractive about a farmer except when when you're hungry and So, Bethlehem was called the house of bread. The house of bread. Bread is the basic foodstuff of life. Jesus, when he said man cannot live by bread alone, was really speaking of the importance of bread. Obviously, physically bread is what we need to keep alive. But Jesus will say we need more than that. We need every word that comes from the mouth of God. But try to do life without bread. So Bethlehem, this house of bread, this rural place that they watched the sheep and they raised the cattle and they grew the grain that fed the world. Isn't it interesting that even we, uh, in, in times past, have given money terms about bread like like back in the hippie movement we'd say hey man I need to make some bread that means I need to make some money you remember that how many of you can remember back? give me some bread man that was money and then we changed it from bread to dough gotta have some dough you know I don't have enough dough for this why do we use those terms because we know that no no money no bread and no bread no life Jesus and, and I just watched Robert get all excited about it yesterday as we were standing out in that place and it dawned on him that Bethlehem, the house of bread was the place that the bread of life came to this world he said I think I'll choose choose bread town to come because out of, out of this town is going to be the bread that will, that will satisfy the deepest, the deepest hunger of your souls. And, and there's a lot of hungry people today for a lot of things today. like the loaves that were multiplied still feeding the world today This is the first Sunday of the month we take communion on the first Sunday of the month and I wanted to do it at the end of this message because when we take communion this morning we're taking it with the bread of life morning I want to say just at the end of this meeting, I hope I said nothing in this message that offended any of you I I came this morning to take zero political stances I have no political stance on whether we should carry or not carry and all of that I, I, I frankly don't care about all of that I'm, I would be dangerous with a gun frankly but uh, I don't have a problem with people hunt and do all of those things
1: All I wanted to
0: say this morning that the answers that the world needs are not coming from Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Jeb Bush or Bernie Sanders or whoever your favorite, and I don't have a thing for or against any of them. I'm saying that the answer to what the world needs is a place that's quiet enough to hear the good news. It's dark enough the everlasting light. It's small enough to demonstrate the greatness. That it's dreamless sleep. It's the perfect place for the birthplace of hope. It was perfectly designed to be the breadbasket of the world. You know what I love, What I love about that breadbasket thing? It's bread is the most common, it's the most common food. I just want to tell you maybe you're here today feeling rather calm and farmers and factory workers and auto mechanics and school teachers and doctors and nurses and people of all stripes and educational levels they came to the whole world there's something in my heart this week that's been saying oh little town of Bethlehem still we see you lie, above your deep and dreamless sleep. And silent stars go by. Is that what we're gonna sing? We're gonna sing that song. Let's do a verse of that together as we prepare our hearts to receive. God, before we take the elements, we ask, Lord, that you would quiet our hearts right now. Just quiet our hearts right now from all of the noise, all of the chatter, all of the distractions, all of the political posturing, all of the headlines, all of the passion, all of the energy to steal away this morning to Bethlehem. We come. We come to Bethlehem this morning. We come to the bread basket of the world because we need your bread. Our Muslim neighbors need you. Our Jewish neighbors need you. Our Christian neighbors need you. We all need you thank you Lord that you came for all of us to all of us from all of us for all of us to bless all of us so we receive of your blessing this morning as we take of your table and we ask that you would forgive us of our sins we pray Lord that you would forgive us for looking for any false light and any false hope false answers any false noise any false news and help us to hear the good news this morning in Jesus name and all God's people said Amen